So last week we talked about um, Palm Sunday, Jesus' entry in, into Jerusalem where everybody was so excited to see him because they thought he was going to do exactly what they wanted him to do. A few days later, when they realized he wasn't going to do exactly what they wanted him to do, they wanted him to throw the Romans off, establish the kingdom of, of the Jews here on earth and be their king. And when he explained, that's not the kind of king I am. I have no interest in throwing over earthly powers because I know the greatest power is the spiritual power. I am trying to introduce you to the kingdom of God, which is not somewhere out there, and it's not later, and it's not when someone on earth takes over and destroys all your enemies. It is here now. If you choose it, it's that if that got him. It's the if. So after this triumphant entry, which Jesus came for the Passover feast, and he had the Passover feast, he had a last supper, as we call it, with his disciples. And there was transformation going on even then. Easter is about transformation, by the way. That's all it's about, is transformation. It's about falling to rise again only. Only falling in order to rise again. And so he starts at this dinner when he starts telling his disciples, it's going to be different. I'm not going to be here. They don't really know what he's talking about. He says goodbye to them. He says... As often as you do this, remember me. So he has this supper, and he breaks bread, and he drinks wine. And did he mean, from now on, all Christians on Sunday morning will break a cracker and drink some wine or grape juice in remembrance of Jesus? Or did he mean every time you are in holy communion, communion means coming together. Every time that you meet with loved ones to share nourishment, spiritual nourishment, physical nourishment, mental, emotional nourishment. Every time, remember, remember who you are. As often as you do this, remember who you are. And y'all, Holy Communion was happening right in there around a big coloring book, basically, <laughs> with lots of cool food. That's Holy Communion. Holy Communion is happening right here, right here as we sit together, as we focus our attention in one space so that we may leave here, I hope, risen a little higher than when we came in, as the song says. So the story of Easter is that after that supper, Jesus went into the garden to pray, and he asked some of his friends, please just... This is something I have to do alone, but please stay awake with me. Just, just stand by, because this is hard. And he went and he prayed, and he said, I don't want to do this. He knew what was coming. He knew he had a death, not just a death, but a painful death before him. Let this cup pass from me, I pray. He meant, I really don't want to do this. And yet... If it is mine to do, I will surrender and do what is mine to do. 
Was he asking some God out there to please let it pass away? Or was he talking to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit that, yeah, is out there and in here and around here and in here. I don't want to do this. Yet thy will, not mine, be done. The will of the Spirit, not the will of the flesh, be done. Because, of course, no flesh, certainly no ego, wants to fall ever. But the Spirit understands that sometimes it must fall in order to rise again. And so he surrendered. And then he got real sort of disgusted because the people that he asked, please just stay awake with me, fall, fell asleep right away. That happened a couple of times. And then he was betrayed officially. He already knew it was coming. And they led him away. And he stood before his accusers, Pontius Pilate, who kind of knew, well, what exactly is it that you accuse him of? You're accusing him of not being the king of the Jews? Because that doesn't seem to be a crime. Um, or being the king of the Jews, because that isn't really a crime unless he's done something about it politically. So how about, how about we, uh, we crucify this thief instead? Because we said we're going to crucify three people. It has to be three. So if we're not going to crucify him, we've got to offer up somebody else. And the crowd said, no, we want Jesus. Can you imagine that? The same crowd that was there hailing him, saying, Yay, Lord, you're here to save us. Hosanna, Hosanna, hallelujah, wonderful. We're so glad you're here. No, we want you specifically. We want your blood. Have you ever felt like that in your life? Like someone or some organization or maybe some family, some job, that supported you and told you how great you were one day just completely turned on you? If you haven't had that experience, I'm kind of glad for you. But I think all of us have had some experience similar to that, some betrayal. And what we have to know in the betrayal is that as long as we keep being who we are, you know, if we're not the ones that changed, and turned the relationship, how, whatever kind of relationship it was, sour. As long as we are honest with ourselves and stay who we are, then it doesn't matter what anybody else does. And that's what Jesus knew. And I, I have studied this story in depth since I was about, I mean, I heard it before then. But I started reading the Bible myself when I was six. And I've studied this story over and over again. And it has moved me. It still moves me. And I think the most moving thing of all, when we think about someone who had realized his Christedness, actually understood fully that he was the living one incarnate. We all are. We just don't know it. But he knew it, and he acted from it. He spoke from that place. That this person was so, I can't even think of the word, so horribly betrayed by his enemies, yeah, but also by his friends. Betrayed, denied, I, never, I don't know who you're talking about, I never met him. One day before they were saying, I'll never leave you. 
And then the next day, gone. Ever been there? And with all of this studying of the story and with all of the ways that it moves me, I think the thing that moves me most is that he stands before Pilate and Pilate says, I don't really think you're guilty, but I don't want to make them mad. So if you could just give me something to go on, (laughs) something that I can present as evidence so that I can have an excuse not to have you put to death. And Jesus simply stood in who he was. He said, There's nothing I can tell you. You're going to believe what you're going to believe. You're going to do what you're going to do. And I am here in my complete authenticity. I shan't defend because there is nothing to defend. And you know it as well as I do. He didn't say that, but I'm sure that was in there. You know it as well as I do. And Pilate did not know who he was was not able to stand in his truth enough to say, it is clear to me that this man is not guilty, so I refuse to put him to death, regardless of what everybody out there does. Pilate did the expedient things. Like, I really don't want to kill you, but, you know, I'm up for an election next November. Can't make those people mad. And so he delivered who he knew to be an innocent man unto a horrible death. Do you hear me saying shan't and unto? I must have been reading the Bible too much this week. He delivered him unto a horrible death. And then he washed his hands of it. Not my fault. If he just defended himself, I'd have had something to go on. But not my fault. And so that was the story of Good Friday. And then the story of Easter is... He was tortured. He did die. He had witnesses of his death. He was laid in a tomb. And on Easter morning, Mary and a friend came to the tomb. And the stone was rolled away. And they looked inside, and he wasn't there. And they wept. They've taken him away, and I don't know where they've laid him. They're talking about his body. They wanted to come and anoint and tend to his body in the in the way that um, Jewish people do to honor the dead. And she was told, he's not here. He's not here. In one of the versions, the person she's talking to who says he's not here, she doesn't recognize. And finally he says, "Uh, Mary. (laughs) And she says, is it you, Lord? So that story always confused me as a kid. It's like, really? You've known him that long and you didn't recognize him? So was there a physical resurrection? Was there a physical resurrection? The truth is, I do not know. What I know is that something happened. Something happened that brought about a sea change in the people who followed him. Because all this time, they had been following him and going, I don't know, tell me what to do. I don't know, tell me what to do. And at this point, they went, oh, if I'm going to live by these teachings, I have to do it. I don't just get to follow him around and go, I'm his follower, you know, whatever. I have to do it. They had a choice point to go, well, he's dead, that's over. Or to go, okay, I don't know what's happening here, but I know that I was given something during his lifetime, a teaching. I was given a love. I experienced that love. 
And it is mine to do to share that love. I can't put it off on somebody else anymore. Some did, some didn't. But the ones who chose to do so, for whatever reason, because they saw a physical resurrection or because they had a vision of a resurrection or because who knows, but we are still talking about it 2,000 years later, well over 2,000 years later. So something happened. There was an experience of transcendence, an experience of overcoming. And the fundamentalist idea of Easter is that um, we as humans are too irredeemably sinful for God to let into heaven. It's just like, I'm sorry, heaven's really clean. Y'all are really dirty. There's just, I would like to have you in, but no, it can't, we can't do it. It doesn't work. And so he's like, well, I'm supposed to love you unconditionally. So I know I'll send someone down and make him die horribly. And then he can clean you all up. He can take all your sin on him. And then you can come into heaven. I can't just let you come into heaven because even though I'm God, it wouldn't be fair for somebody not to be punished for your sins. So I'm going to let this guy be punished for all of your sins. That's the idea of justice that is presented, that in order for there to be justice, somebody has to pay for this sinful world. And it was Jesus, and he did it because he loved us. And that's kind of a beautiful story. It's not a horrible story. But yeah, it kind of portrays God as not very godlike. Not very godlike. And so the story in New Thought... The story that we tell is that we don't owe anything. We never owed anything. There was never a debt. We share in the love of the Father. Jesus came to let us know that. Don't think it's out there or out there. He said so many times, if you say the kingdom of heaven is here, then the birds will get to it before you do. If you say it's there, then whoever's standing there gets it. No, the kingdom of heaven is right here. Are you going to claim it or are you going to pretend it's not here? That's your choice. That is the choice of redemption, of resurrection, of not wallowing in your circumstances, but understanding that who you are is something greater than your circumstances. No matter what, who you are is greater than your circumstances. I'm saying this to you today. Who you are is greater than your circumstances. And you have nothing to defend. You do have something to claim. You have something to claim. Jesus, when he spoke to them at that last summer supper, he basically said, remember, just remember, remember that I love you. Remember that I forgive you, that even though you haven't done yet what I know you're going to do, that you're going to feel really bad about and need forgiveness for, I'm forgiving you now. And I'm asking you not to even carry that guilt. And then to show that same grace to others, that no matter what they do, you understand that forgiveness is the only way. Forgive yourselves, forgive others, and know that things happen the way they're supposed to happen. Things happen the way they're supposed to happen. So what I like to call the new thought version of Easter is the infinite second chance. Death 
any type of death, physical death. There are many types of deaths that we experience in our lives, deaths of jobs, deaths of relationships, deaths of people that we love, deaths of other creatures that we love, deaths of what we used to be able to do that we're not physically or in some other way able to do anymore. We all go through many, many deaths in life but there's always a second chance. You know when a butterfly goes into its cocoon? I just read this not too long ago. I always thought of it as sort of like withdrawing, you know, like the caterpillar is in there and he just kind of dries up his body so it looks a little more butterfly-like and sprouts some antenna and grows some wings from that caterpillar body. But what really goes on inside the cocoon is soup. The caterpillar completely dissolves. There is no vestige of caterpillar. And there also is no vestige or hint of butterfly. It's just a little DNA soup. And from that little DNA, have you ever felt like DNA soup? I have. From that little DNA soup, something new begins. Some cells start to come together and it creates something completely other, not a caterpillar with wings, but a completely different creature, a butterfly. That's us, y'all. And here's what Jesus said about death in John chapter 12. Listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to his life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you will have life forever, real and eternal. Ooh, doesn't that make you feel good? And I'm going to do something that's not usually done on Easter. I'm going to read from the Bhagavad Gita about death. Atman, by the way, is the eternal soul that lives in the body. Some say this Atman is slain. Others call it the slayer. They know nothing. How can it slay or who shall slay it? Know this Atman, unborn, undying, never ceasing, never beginning. Deathless, birthless, unchanging forever. How can it die the death of the body? Knowing it birthless, knowing it deathless, knowing it endless, forever unchanging, dream not the power is yours to command it. Worn out garments are shed by the body. Worn out bodies are shed by the dweller within the body. This is me. Worn out lives are shed by the livers of those lives so that they can create new lives. Death is certain for the born. Rebirth is certain for the dead. You should not grieve for what is unavoidable. Wow. Death. Death is what happens in order for us to emerge anew. Whether that's a physical death or a different kind of death. A spiritual transformation. And that was what Jesus promised to the Jews that they chose to interpret as, you're going to be the king and we're going to be on easy street. That was never what Jesus said. 
And so here's our story, or my story from the Easter standpoint, is that when I die a death, I can try to stay there. I can defend it. Well, these things happened, and there's nothing now I can do about it. I just have to live with this. When I die a death, I can choose to dwell on it and let it affect the rest of my life. Or I can die a death and grieve it and then claim, who am I now? With what I've learned, who am I now? Who am I going to be? Without excuses, without dragging an old carcass around. How many of us have a relationship that dies or a job that dies or a physical ability that's no longer ours anymore and we drag it around like a carcass. I wish, I wish I still had this. I wish I still had this. But we have to keep walking forward into the life that's before us because we can't live the life that's behind us. But what a drag, literally, to try to bring that forth. To try to bring that forth. Even Paul said, do I have that in here? Maybe not. Um, you know, Paul's not my favorite guy, but I do quote him some. He said the resurrection body doesn't, you know, does a, does a tomato look like a tomato seed? No, you put the seed in the ground, and what grows from it bears no resemblance to what you planted. Can you see that as, and Paul was probably talking a little more literally here, that when we're resurrected, we won't look like we did on earth. But what I'm saying is your new life doesn't have to look anything like the old life doesn't have to. It's your choice. It's your choice. And you get to keep what's serving you and let go of what doesn't serve you and awaken into something new. And here's the thing. In Genesis, um, this is in the Joseph story, Joseph said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now, I don't know if you remember the Joseph story. His brother sold him into slavery. And he triumphed. And he came back to them, and when they realized who he was, they were like, oh, here it comes. And he says, no, 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 no. What you did is already forgiven because you can't hurt me because you are not the boss of me. <laughs> My spirit is the boss of me. God is the boss of me. So whatever you meant it for, good was made of it. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That can go, how many things can you think of in your life that you really resisted happening, and then when they did happen, you went, oh, because everything changed. It's easy to look back and find some of those places, but it's not so easy to go through what you're going through now and go, I know that something new is growing from this death that I am experiencing. I don't know what it is. Doesn't mean I don't grieve the death. Yes, I need to grieve. But below and above and all around the grief is this knowledge that yes, life goes on and I will live into my new life gloriously to the degree that I allow that to happen. To the degree that I insist that that happened. So if 
uh, the Dalai, I love this, the Dalai Lama said, if I were not in exile, the greatest pain of his life, thrown out of his country in the middle of the night, went through horrible hardship, is not allowed home to rule his own people, he says, if I were not in exile, I would be living in a palace. And you would not know who I am. The world would not be availing myself of all of these teachings. In Gethsemane, in the garden, if God had answered the prayer, okay, yes, I'm going to let this cup pass from you. Yep, just go tell Pilate. Not your fault. Go on. Do you think we would have the teachings of Jesus still alive? Think anybody would have bothered to write them down? Something happened. I don't know what it was, but something happened that was so remarkable that people were still writing things down about it 100 years later. 70 years later, which is when the first Gospels were written, right? Something happened. If Pilate had let Jesus off the hook, would we have these teachings of love here in the 21st century? I don't know. So what deaths are you experiencing, and how are you transforming? Because the lesson of Easter is that we accept the world Jesus knew what was going to happen to him, but it didn't keep him from enjoying the feast with his brothers. It didn't keep him from expressing his love and his forgiveness. He knew what was happening, and yet he never lost sight of who he was. And it doesn't matter who the world thinks you are. It matters who you think you are. And if you know who you are, and you live into who you are, then I am here to tell you that nothing, nothing can keep your spirit down. No temporary death, and I believe no permanent death because I believe we are so much more than these bodies. We are so much more than these bodies. So up from the gravy, that's my Easter experience. When I was little, I remember the song we used to sing, up from the gravy arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. And I always thought that there was a rose coming up from the gravy. <laughs> I pictured my grandmother's gravy bowl up from the gravy. I wondered what that had to do with church, but I sang it anyway. I enjoyed it. So if you're in the gravy, if you're in the soup, how are you arising? What does your transformation look like? Because the point of Easter is that we are Easter people. We are not Good Friday people. We are not Maundy Thursday people. We are not whatever. We are not the people on the way down. We are Easter people. The message of Easter is transformation. And when we die to anything old, when we let it go, then we are free to take on what is new. And let me just read this last little paragraph from Renee Brown again. Renee Brown. We will not be characters in our stories. We will not be villains, nor victims, nor even heroes. We are the authors of our lives. We write our own daring endings. We craft love from heartbreak, compassion from shame, grace from disappointment, and courage from failure. Showing up is our power. Up from the gravy. <laughs> <laughs>